Shows that make you laugh. Shows that make you think. Music that moves you. It can only be one place. Universal Broadcasting Network. Tune in at ubnradio.com. Animal Magnetism. Exploring animal care for creatures great and small. Conservation and preservation in today's world. Find out what a single voice can do to make a difference in the lives of animals. Animal Magnetism with Carolyn Hennessy starts right now on UBN Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Actually, I, I need to start saying good evening because people are hearing this for the first time at 7 o'clock Pacific Daylight savings time. Um, but we are taping this in the morning, bright and early on a Sunday morning. Tony, we have to change the intro. We do. Yes, because it's not a single voice. Yes. It's, it's my voice maybe the loudest because I'm a <laughs> brash, sassy broad. But, um, but it's not a single voice at all. Uh, good morning, listeners, preservationists, conservationists everywhere. Welcome once again to Animal Magnetism. I am the loudest voice, Carolyn Hennessy, your host, but... Uh, Joining me, uh, it's it's if if nothing else, it's it's two voices, because my my producer co-host Andrea Compton also has an incredibly loud voice in the <laughs> preservation and conservation community. So welcome, my darling. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's nice and warm here in Seattle, finally. So it's nice it's a happiness here. We have a beautiful day here in Los Angeles. Um, wish you were here. Uh, but yes. uh, but thank you for everything you do from afar. We and a, a very very interesting guest we've got today. Um, kind of Andrew and I were talking about sort of a one man global uh, anti poaching operation. Not quite, but but really an incredible. Uh, the tip of the spear is very very sharp and very large with this guy. It's, it's kind of amazing. Um, Mike Veal of of Global conservation. Wait, hang on, hang on. I have yes, I had it. I had it in my yeah. head, and then it just and then it just went out, as most things do these days. Ladies, take note uh, when you get a, when you get to be a certain age. Global conservation force. Welcome, Mike. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm. It's 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 almost. I almost kind of don't know where to start. You guys hear me all right there? Yeah, we, yeah. we can hear you. I, but it's, here's what's interesting is that I almost kind of don't know where to start with you because there is so much to cover. I can guarantee you we're going to have you on again. Um, and, and I want to come down and participate in your anti-poaching training. We're going to get to that in a moment. Mike Veal. Mike Veal, founder-president of Global Conservation Force, is a Southern California native who has worked extensively with animals for the majority of his career. As a senior mammal keeper at San Diego Safari Park, he had unparalleled access to the last remaining North African white rhinos, as well as dozens of other endangered species. In 2014, after years of watching the populations of animals under his care rapidly dwindle in the wild, Mike decided to take action. His lengthy zookeeping, field wildlife conservation career combined with an active combat sport-heavy lifestyle gave Mike the unique experience needed to fight on the front line of conservation. So, Mike traveled to South Africa and passed the intensive boot camp training required before finally becoming an anti-poaching ranger in Kruger National Park. After several months of fighting poaching, Mike returned to America and Global Conservation Force was founded. He continues to go back and forth between the United States and Africa, working on direct impact wildlife conservation projects, local community support, and anti-poaching patrols. 
essentially taking his life in his hands every time he steps foot out the door. Mike and his team now work in several African countries with multiple reserves and anti-poaching units to better train and equip rangers to protect endangered wildlife from poachers. Mike actively patrols to maintain on-the-ground insight, knowledge, and skills to to help provide free additional support to wildlife protection teams in need. So it's 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 fascinating because it's 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 there's two fronts you're fighting on. Two fronts. You are fighting A yep. to 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 work with the anti-poachers to go out and actually protect species, but you're also fighting to increase the anti-poaching ranger numbers and increase their support. And and so so tell us <laughs> you're amazing because you're kind of a one-man band. Tell us a, first of all First of all, I think Andrea has the question that that we always ask of every guest, and yes. I think it's and I think it's incredibly important, certainly in this case. And then we have many follow ups. Go ahead, Andrea. Yeah, because we need to understand where it all began, Mike. Uh, we'd like to know what was that moment, what was that animal that you bonded with, that you had that connection with, that put you upon this path that you are on today. So. Uh, you know, there's there's a couple animals I could think of in the past that helped spark this, but where the fire kind of went under my feet was uh, about 2010. Um, I started working with rhinos uh, more more in a personal manner, actually taking on the care and staff as part of a team, um, knowing the breeding habits and the different social behaviors between different groups and everything, and I met. Uh, a rhino at that time named Chuck, and he's a north or he's a southern white rhino male, and he's now 48. Uh, he's full of personality, and what what was hilarious when I met Chuck was he was rambunctious and always getting into trouble uh, in these large mixed species exhibits, and he was you know goofing around with Cape Buffalo, and he was unhinging gates, and he would you know he he was known to be a troublemaker, but a sweetheart at the same time. Um, so I, I sparked a connection with Chuck. Well, I ended up working with Chuck for a majority of my career in zookeeping, overlapping so many different uh, areas of the safari part. Well, then in 2012, uh, I was put on the team that had the northern white rhinos, uh, the two northern white rhinos uh, in the United States. Now this is, this, at is the time, at, this is at the safari park, right? This is at San Diego Safari Park? Oh, yeah, that's okay. correct. Okay. Um, and there were eight northern white rhinos at that time frame, and it was very special that I was working with them. Well, after a year, I became one of their primary caretakers. There's a team, but I was basically overseeing them as part of you know the mixed areas and all the different species, and both of them were very sweet. Uh, spent a lot of time with them. And that was at the same time that the poaching crisis went from a couple hundred, like in the, you know, 300 range to like 600, 800, 900 range. Mm -hmm. And watching uh, that spike of poaching come back into play and knowing that I'd already been setting the foundation to be, to set up global conservation forests for years prior, I felt like I was staring extinction in the face every day because knowing that even though that they were still alive, they're both, post-reproductive and there was no hope for them breeding uh, naturally that they were just going to be living out their life uh, under managed care and that after that that was it and I I couldn't handle it anymore so I 
basically at that point uh, in 2013, I had submitted my paperwork and I had gone through tons of painful visa applications and spent lots of money on that. And at the end of 2013, I sold uh, pretty much all of my stuff. I moved out of my place. Uh, my friends parked my car at their property for that, like for me for, for several months. And then I took off for South Africa and went through Ranger Boot Camp. Why did you, so it, it all started back then, basically with Chuck and Nola and Angelifu. Well, oh. Angelifu, Nola, and Chuck. God bless. Um, and you decided to go to Kruger because that is, uh, or or the area surrounding Kruger because that is one of the areas of greatest need, right? Yes. Yes, that's that's correct. Yeah, I figured if I was going to get trained in anti poaching, and I needed to, I, I basically needed to go to where it was it was really happening and where it was worse, like the, the worst battles were happening to, for conservation and rhinos. Um, because one, I wanted to get trained by those who were the most experienced. And two, I wanted to be in the zone that needed the most help. It's fascinating. You, you meet, you meet a lot of people, not necessarily a lot of people that we talk to. We, we talk to a lot of people who get their hands dirty. Truly, mm-hmm. truly. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you rarely, we rarely talk to somebody like you who not only gets their hands dirty but takes their life in their hands every time you go on a uh, every time you patrol. Um, yeah. It, now you spend you spend much of your time and you you divide your time, correct? You, so is it like six months yeah. here, six months there? Yeah, it, it fluctuates between timelines. And right now, uh, with some of our other projects, uh, I've been working more cross-training more staff and trying to hire more locals into the system too Mm -hmm. so that uh, nothing's so dependent upon me. But yeah, I I split my time up uh, several months of the year uh, in the field and then several months of the year back to this side. Uh, And it's really important because, uh, you know, radio shows like today, getting to talk to people who are not hearing what the Rangers are having to say, really the call for help that's coming from the front line um, that's missed in the delivery of all these other stats and things coming out. Um, it's really important to have a foot in both worlds because you can do a lot that side, but you can do a lot on this side as well oh, because we have the dollar impact and we have the technology and all the different gear. Um, and it makes a huge difference in morale too for the Rangers. The Rangers absolutely love hearing that we have their back. They feel like, there's a sports team rooting for them, that there's somebody who cares about them. They're not just alone patrolling in the bush, uh, you know, just not, not, you even, know, not existing, even remotely having alone. a hard no. time. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I can absolutely understand how they would think they are. All right, so here's, here's a question that I have for you, and this, is, this sort of goes a little far afield. Because we're now a, 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 a global society, because everyone's got a cell phone in their hand, because everybody knows or should know the fact that rhino horn does not increase your erection, it doesn't cure cancer, it doesn't do any of the th- – it has no medicinal properties whatsoever. Correct. Uh, tiger penis doesn't. Um, g- giraffe whatever doesn't. Elephant horn doesn't. These things are those those antiquated notions of healthcare and and status. They're gone now. But 
it's gone from 300 up to 900 in just in just a few years or it, it, there was there was that spike so it's very it's an interesting dichotomy because we've got the knowledge that this doesn't really mean anything it's not a status symbol anymore it doesn't cure anything and yet the and yet we then saw a spike so what is what do you think is responsible for that spike well so there's there's a couple complications um you know when you're on ground in the countries of issue, you tend to find that education is uh, hard up to find, uh, or formal education is. And so, you know, whatever it may be, the the thought process for changing your car's tires may have a superstition to it, um, to just the fact that you got a cold. So when it comes to the demand countries, Vietnam and China and Laos, Cambodia, all the, right. the, the Eastern um, Asian countries, when you're talking about the population size and the demand, we're dealing, like, because of the, the limited amount of rhino, elephant, giraffe, pangolin, um, those animals that are getting poached in the highest numbers, uh, the desire for them, the, the, the amount of people who can afford it versus the amount of people who still want it and those who want to pay for it, uh, there are a lot of them just in the ratio of population um, from people to animals. Right. And it drives the price all the way up. And now it's a very profitable business for illegal wildlife trade. No, you're, 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 you're absolutely right. My thought was just simply it's like there's so much information. You can Google you can Google the fact that none of this makes any difference to you health-wise. And, and we have all of that information at our fingertips. I, I mean, my thought is that if this were if this were 100 years ago and those superstitions were still, and we had the population that we'd have now, and those superstitions were still in play, th- then I would understand that spike. But it's like, no, yeah. you, you have, you, you, your society is, is capable of being so much more educated now. There are facts and stats yeah. at your fingertips. It's, 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 it's an interesting dichotomy, and it's, and it's a little scary because it seems like we're going backward. We're just heading backward into just falling back into that sixth mass extinction. Um, yeah, your website is is wonderful. Again, two two. Thank you. Two, yes, it's twofold. It, and what's interesting, what's great about it is that it's very simple to navigate. It's really great to navigate. Three, awesome. That's th- the goal. <laughs> yes, three basic areas: H- how you can donate. How you can get involved, and um, and then the third one is, what is the third one? Well, the, a, a, the about section. The about the, section. The yes. Context. Yes. Yeah. So again, you're fighting it. You're fighting two fronts. Yeah. You you you, and you want to get as much money as possible, as much support, as much equipment as possible to the rangers themselves. And you have a wonderful wish list of things that are, are the most necessary. You're like $1,200 trains a ranger in, you know, outside of Kroger National Park. Um, yep. you, you need, you need food, you need supplies, you need medical supplies, you need, uh, you need, you need people. Um, yeah. And so, so we're gonna, and we have all uh, listeners. We have we've got the list of all of all of the ways you can contact Mike. The website, the Facebook page, I think it's the Twitter handle. Yes, of course. Um, and so, I urge you strongly to go. And if, as we always say, if you've just got a quarter, if you've got a dollar, donate it here today because every little bit helps. Um, 
That it does. You've got wonderful videos. Your the number of videos that you link to uh, on on YouTube, there are dozens and dozens and dozens, and you really listeners can get an amazing idea of what it's like to be in Mike's shoes, truly in Mike's shoes. And they range in length from 33 seconds. These are all kind of short, short little amuse-bouches, short little bites, little appetizers, kids. So you want to go and watch as many as you possibly can, but they range from 33 seconds. There's a giraffe poaching intro to uh, roughly around 15 minutes. But I think, Andrea, you, you and I agreed that one of the most... One of the most important videos mm-hmm. is, well, first of all, the anti-poaching rangers march. And that's that's about a fifth. That's fifteen minutes, and you really get an amazing sense of what it's like. Um, but the video that had the most profound impact on me, and I think Andrew, you'll you you, I think you might agree with this too, considering this is the one you sent to me, and you really, we and I looked at this together. It's your interview with the anti-poaching sergeant Toomey, who's a who's a good friend of yours. Tell it this. This, this is interesting because it shows pretty much a 180-degree turnabout from somebody who wasn't particularly caring about animals to right. someone knew, who now is putting his life on the line every day for them. So tell us a little bit about him. Uh, Sergeant Toomey is hes a legend. Um, just, just thinking about Sergeant Toomey puts a smile on my face. Um, so... In different areas of Africa, you have a different degree of connection with wildlife. And unfortunately, in some areas of Africa, the idea of uh, being a ranger is just a day job in somebody's mind. And that's bad because you don't have the right motivated members in the field. But what happens commonly is um, when you get the right players out there and somebody like Sergeant Toomey steps up and he goes through training and then he's like, you know, I just love this. He makes a connection. He was in it originally because he, he needed a stable job. Life was hard. Um, but it, it clipped all away. Sergeant Toomey has been one of the most uh, successful anti-poaching operators in the greater Cougar National Park for capturing poachers and just disrupting the whole entire network. He lives in the – like, he's from the community uh, right there in the greater Limpopo region. And he, he's just a, a bright spirit. He, he's been in anti-poaching now, gosh, I think, uh, I think it's been over 10 years now. Uh, but he's trained so many people. He's been able to get people who are not engaged originally to kind of click and engage. And quality of, of a lot of anti-poaching rangers who may have just been there for the job. Uh, and, you know, I have to say, to to, to the extent um, of what the, the cause is as well, that is very dangerous, and it hasn't come without consequence for Sergeant Toomey. Um, he's actually right now um, on kind of a, a half patrol situation because he was injured, and it had to do with uh, a stabbing, and so it, it, he he was he was stabbed, but he's recovered, but can't do full patrol, so it has impacted his life, you know, in that element as well. Will he be able to, is he, is he going to be recovered enough at some point to be able to go back on full patrol or not? I think, I think so. But the, I, if I remember correctly, the, the last time they were, the doctors had given him basically a, a notice that they wanted to make sure that 
because of some of the injuries that they didn't want him to be exerting too much force, uh, basically because of blood pressure and gotcha. somewhere that the knife had severed. Um, so, he, but he's still still such a major player in the field, I, I was gonna even say, if he's not on full patrol. Exactly, because somebody like him, see, here's the thing, poachers, poachers don't have nine to five jobs. Poaching goes on 24-7. No. 24 hours a day. That's correct. So, so somebody like Sergeant Toomey is a 24-hour-a-day kind of guy. That's sort of the spirit that we get from listening to him in this, in this video. And so even if he can't be out there, you know, nabbing the poachers, he, he's, he's an incredible inspiration to others. And he can really, I agree with you, light that fire, that 24-hour-a-day fire in, in someone else. He's, he's remarkable. I would love to uh, listen. I think Andrea and I want to go and we want to take the training and we want to go and and be the oh, we want yeah. we want to be the cheerleaders for the sports team that's backing up and we will go there and we will we will wave our pom-poms. <laughs> they would love it. They would love it. They they get a kick uh they get a kick out of us when we come out there cuz usually, you know, uh we're seeing them in different gaps of timelines and they're they're following up and we're catching up on different things and they just they love uh some of the things we do is we bring them thank you letters. Uh, from people or uh, cards from kids that write little notes about saving animals and they just glow. So they, they love it when, whenever there's any connection personally from the United States or Europe back to Africa. Well, and so they would absolutely love your visit. Send them, well, first of all, send them this, send them the link to this show because Sergeant Toomey, you've got, you've got at least two delight, <laughs> delightful chicks in 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 the United States, who are who are pulling for you, who are rooting for you, and who are absolutely in your corner. Tell me what happens to a poacher when they when they catch one. What happens to them? So there there's there's a varying degree, and there's there are several layers of poachers as well. So I like to break this down because um, when you're dealing with what we would call more syndicate based poachers for elephant and rhino poaching, mm-hmm. um, they have a tendency to be violent. Uh, so it doesn't always go according to plan um, when you say, stop, you're under arrest, basically, which would be uh, you'd be yelling Lala Ponzi at them, which means get down. Um, but if you cooperate, if they cooperate and everything goes fairly smoothly, they're arrested, they're uh, processed. We collect all the evidence that we can. Um, any, we track back where they came into the reserve, try to figure out who got them the information because poaching always involves an inside job, especially with uh, rhino poaching. And then we take them to the police station and the police station, this is where things get frustrating. The prosecution level uh, is where the entire system is failing right now in country. Uh, Poachers generally are walking after 70, 72 hours or so. So you book them in, their bail gets paid by somebody in cash. Then they walk after 72 hours and then you don't see them for a while and you capture them again in the bush or you're lucky you capture them. You're able to lay several layers of charges on them, including a legal weapon, you know, intent for you name it. There's a lot of different backgrounds. Uh, hopefully you can get them on a drug charge as well. And the drug and weapon charges are usually what hold them but we're still seeing really, really low prosecution and sentencing rates, like two to three years or five years. Uh, and these are people that these, some of these poachers are, are people who have routinely killed 
community members and or rangers. And uh, there have been a couple who've gotten very, very hard sentences and they made it really public. And then a year later, they were let out on good behavior and house arrest. And uh, it's a wash. Why? Is, 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 Is the government and the judicial system so corrupt? So corrupt? Is it, has it been infiltrated that deeply? Or why? There, they... there, is, there are many layers of corruption that are making this very difficult battle, um, from police to prosecutors, judges, uh, rangers even, you name it. But where some of this also comes into play is uh, some of these prosecutors and uh, the, the judge, the, I guess the judicial system over there, some of the system doesn't have proper training and doesn't actually see the crime as, as, as seriously as we do internationally and or as we do um, in the syndicate-based system. Now, the world has put a lot of pressure on a couple of these countries. Now, some, again, some of the, all these countries vary in the sentencing and the process, but it's still a weak spot because uh, these guys, for what the level of what the level of destruction they cause, they should be getting a lot harder sentences and they should be dealt with. <laughs> Yes. Uh, a lot more stringently, and you don't want to know what I do to them. It's a level. What's that? I said you don't want to know what I do to them. You just don't oh, want to know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Believe me, I'd have Amnesty International down my up my ass so fast to make your head spin. But that's but I don't care. <laughs> I, ser- I I just I just don't care. I really don't care. Um, do you see it changing at all because of the world world the pressure that's brought to bear by the by the global community? Yes. And so it, I, I'm going to share with you guys some pretty hard statistics. But before I go into those, I really do want to start with and finish with how how it's changed. So a couple of years ago, not many people really knew that there was a rhino poaching crisis. People knew about ivory and elephants because that was kind of an old thing. Um, and nobody knew about giraffes and people didn't know what a pangolin is. And People didn't realize vultures were getting poisoned, and you know there were all these things that didn't happen. Right. Well, through multiple lines and no, multiple nonprofits and radio shows like this one picking up the topics, people became more aware. And with that, things started to change. Interpol started to prioritize it. Europol started to prioritize it. The United States started to prioritize it. Pressure on the demand countries started to make impacts for the purchase markets. Uh, in-country, more ramped-up pressure, more specialized divisions, um, the accumulation of more reserves and more efforts in different tangent lines to back up this basically onslaught of poaching that's happening uh, to defend the wildlife. There has been a lot of positive change. Now, if you're looking more recently uh, ivory and rhino horn is illegal in Hawaii, New York, New Jersey, California, Washington, Oregon. Uh, there is the HR 2494 Wildlife Trafficking Act that's you know United States right. um, federal based. That has put more bite because what what is commonly uh, forgotten is that this is an international trade, and yeah. the problem doesn't just happen in Africa right. uh, or in Asia for poaching. It's when these syndicates know that they can move products through Europe or the United States and get through scot-free or maybe with a tiny slap on their wrist or a fine for moving wildlife products, and they're making money at the same level 
that they are for dealing weapons and drugs. So the syndicate systems were are still very big and they're still very, very much um, not contained. But they're we're making big dents and cutting links in the chain. We are uh, because Excellent. just a couple you know, within the last couple of years, the United States was still the largest, the second largest largest market That's for right. ivory That's outside right. of. That's right. Asia. Yeah, we can and, we, we condemn we condemn Asia, we condemn Southeast Asia and Asia, and and then we need to turn around and look in the mirror because we are, you're absolutely right. We are we are the second largest consumer. Absolutely, and so uh, and you you know there's there are different wildlife initiatives going on right now, but we I can tell you right now there have been people who are smuggling rhino horn and ivory and other wildlife parts that have been caught in the United States, California, Orange County. Uh, Washington State, New York, all over the place. Uh, syndicate ties from South Africa, some of the biggest syndicate families, connections to South Carolina, Texas, uh, Arizona. So they know how to work the system. They know how to put a, a package and parcel together, send it through real quick and know that, okay, they're not looking for this or they don't have the gear to look for this. Well, those, those sections of the, the, the links are closing. Uh, we are pinching down on that. We have more special agents working in the United States to capture these guys. Uh, Europe is doing the same thing, and there, there are people that are pursuing them abroad in uh, Asia, you know, like Vietnam and China as well. Uh, those have made an impact all the way back to the field where areas where, for example, Global Conservation Forces were working – uh, very, uh, we've put a lot of effort into the Kruger Park region, Greater Kruger Park, and we're seeing a, a drop in the amount of animals poached uh, every month or every year for those areas. And there are little, little successes here and there, but they're big successes in the end because it was going from like 60 to 100 rhinos in this area every two, three months to <laughs> one or five. Oh, that's brilliant. Lovely. Lovely. That's, that's, that's very, very heartening to me. It's a big deal. The problem is though, the size of this problem is that the pressure shift. So, uh, and that's where we're not massive organization by funding or any, in any means. Uh, and there are other organizations that we collaborate with, uh, but, but there's so much work to be done to continue saving them because the pressure right now has very much shifted into the KwaZulu-Natal province in South Africa. And uh, it's moving further out of the Kruger. Kruger area is still getting, is still getting hit uh, routinely, but that pressure is moving into uh, what we say KZN and um, they're getting hammered. So you need, so you need, you need men and resources now to, in, in addition to continue to patrol in, in Kruger, but now you Absolutely. need more. How many how many people on on the Global Conservation Force staff do you have? How large? Are we you? so everybody everybody's a volunteer mm-hmm. just for starters, mm-hmm. um, and there are thirty nine volunteers. Everything ranging from uh, social media and education outreach to uh, set, helping us set up events, and then we have collaborators. But then we work in combination with thousands of rangers. Um, in in different countries. So some teams vary from having 60 and some teams have six rangers. And we like to use the term of 
amplifying or forced multiplication where we we're not the end all save all and we're not trying to be we are trying to help uh identify where a team needs help and most of the time they know exactly where that is mm-hmm. we come in on the same level as brother in arms in the same battle we don't go knocking on their door to say hey let us help you um, usually it comes through a friend who's asking for help and another friend, and these are all rangers, and say, hey, can GCF help us? And then we try to create a budget, and we try to fundraise for that team and specific needs. Um, so we ch- we're trying to do that in as many places as possible uh, so that our team of 39, which is more, I should say, a core of like 20, about 25, a core of 25 that really are working every week on something, um, that core of 25 people is helping to amplify all these different crisis zones for elephant poaching, giraffe poaching, pangolin poaching, vulture poisoning, rhino poaching, uh, community development, education, and sustainability projects. Uh, That way we, as an individual, amplify an entire community. Just brilliant. I'm going to toss it to Andrea in a minute, but, but I think, I think it's safe to say that GCF, is now a known commodity. In other words, when people do have 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 a, have a problem, when they do need more staffing, when they do need more community outreach, more education, they know it's you know they know they can come to you. Now it's not just like yes. where where do I go? Where do I go? Mm-hmm. Um, which is wonderful, Andrea. Yeah. So now here's the big you know the big question here is the need of resources, and you've got an event coming up. Uh, Conservation Beer is partnering with uh, Pacific Plate Brewery in Glendale, Monrovia. I believe that's next week, right? Yeah, this is next week. Um, we we have an awesome partnership with uh, Pacific Plate Brewery. Uh, there's Monrovia and Glendale. We're going to have the event at the Glendale Tap Room. Oh, good. Close to and Yay, good. <laughs> these guys are so awesome. We we started this a couple of years ago now and we, the first conservation beer we launched was white rhino IPA. And then the second was earth shaker stout, which is for elephants and then tall blonde Hefeweizen, which is for giraffe. And now we're launching our fourth, which is the pangolin defender. (laughs) And the idea behind each of these beers, uh, beers individually. And then as a series is that every person who is coming to the brewery, has the option to try the beer. Well, then they are actually learning about the cause from the bar staff and the brewery, connecting back to GCF, and then every single time one of those beverages is poured, Pacific Plate donates to us so we can use it under that species conservation and protection category. So it's been an amazing partnership, and we absolutely love those the, the guys up there at Pacific Plate, and we're really excited for the June 3rd release. That's great. So you get education, you and get beer. support, financial support, and it's all going to be at the Glendale Tap Room this this coming uh, Saturday, right? Yep. This coming Andrew- Saturday at four. Yeah. Four o'clock. Yep. And wow. then okay. Okay. We, okay. Education we, and beer. We. <laughs> yep. Education and yeah. beer and and fundraising. And fundraising. Yeah. It kind of yeah. makes it sort of makes me want to change my sobriety date in in a way, <laughs> kind of. Um, <laughs> Okay, do you do you have an address for for Pacific Plate? I know everything's on the website, but I want I want to just kind of instill this in my listeners in, in my listeners' minds right now. 
Let me pull that up. Let That's me just okay. make sure. Well, 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 you, well, you're, Mike, I got it for you. you got I got it. it for you. There's Andrew. Oh, you got it for me. Perfect. I got it for you. 1302 South Brand Boulevard in Glendale. That's okay. it. It's, and this is this is next Saturday, June third. That's correct. I, uh, I may I may give myself an early birthday present and uh, and 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 meet you there because Glendale is very close. Oh, to that me. would be fantastic. Yes, I I agree. Um, what in your in your in your thought? How can we get more eyeballs on all of the videos? Because I'm looking at the videos that your site links to on YouTube. They are fascinating. They are brutal. They are very hopeful. Yeah, some of them are hard. Very. Some of them are extremely hard. And I, my listeners are, they, they're. I think they're willing to go the extra mile, and they will look at them. So it's not necessarily my listeners that I want to speak to, but I want to. I want to find out how my listeners can sort of take it out into the world. How can we get more eyeballs on these videos? Because some of them only have got like three views, and it's brilliant, and it's 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 they're very hopeful. But they're incredibly informative, and they're action-packed. It's like you're literally watching a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, except the star is you, <laughs> except you're the star. So, Mike's the star. Mike's, uh, Mike's the star. Well, I could say that probably the easiest way is, is connecting people to the social media platforms because we do share them routinely there. And we've, you know, social media is so helpful these days where we can connect people to the website and to the events and back to the videos, and we share – um, in sequence and in planned themes, uh, all of our education lines of things. So um, the videos will come through there. And, and then obviously you can go straight to the YouTube channel. Um, but if you know, you're not feeling up for taking on a bunch of videos in a day, it's going to pop up in our news feed for Facebook. It's gotcha. going to be linked to in our Instagram. It's going to be linked to in our, uh, our Twitter account. And now our Twitter account just got started. Uh, started so, it is a little behind, but it's all right. we it's okay. We, I'm gonna I'm gonna we, tell my one, share these. I'm gonna tell my 110,000 followers to to log on to you to to start following you immediately. And everyone, awesome. all my listeners, please follow follow GCF on all the social media sites. It's literally a click away, and you don't have to inundate yourself with the brutality. You can have a video a day. And it's and it's that simple. Yeah. But make sure then, if you're going to watch these videos, that you donate just a you know a quarter, a dollar. Everything helps. Your your website's also really interesting because you've got these wonderful coloring book pages by uh, by Lori Klein for kids, which is that's yes. it's, it's bringing in the next generation. It is. It's and we are going to be releasing a kids coloring book too. It's a, a storyline that follows a baby rhino. And the kids can either get the coloring book as is, all colored, you know, in print. Um, but it also can be a color in coloring book yeah. for the storyline. So that will be the next part of that. I love it. I just, I just love it. Um, all right. Now here, here comes the moment where Andrea and I want to get involved. Let's right. let's talk about your day course because it's not. I mean, you went there, but you've also <laughs> brought, but you've brought the training back here. So, yes, a- Andrea, would you like to come down and uh, and uh, and do- let's talk about the day course where you can actually learn to be an anti-poaching ranger here in California. Talk about that. Yeah. So we love the course because we're connecting Africa to California, California to Africa. Um, so our vice president, one of our vice presidents, is 
South African. He lives in the greater Kruger National Park, and he's currently working on patrols and he's establishing more collaborations and everything. Well, once a year, usually, we bring him this side, and he takes gear back with him in opposite timelines of when I'm going back and forth and or other team members. And when he comes this side, we always plan to do uh, an instructional course. And so he has the experience of being one of the top anti-poaching trainers in South Africa for the last six years. And then him and I were working together for a long time, and then he formally jumped all the way over to GCF and is working under a grant um, and is full-time with GCF. And he has trained so many different rangers that he knows all the ins and outs. I know all the material, but he's got the, the perfect strategy down, and it's a really fun course. So we've done a couple different styles. We've done single-day courses where we teach uh, what we what we call combat tracking, um, where you're tracking poacher footprints and also aware that they may shoot at you and you may run into dangerous animals, um, all the way to uh, a weekend full miniature anti-pushing course that includes field first aid, uh, fire movement drills, how we utilize our the drones that GCF sponsors in the field, uh, how to how to locate an injured or isolated person that got moved, removed from the group or how to track poachers, how to live with dangerous game, what kind of food to pack on these long excursions because rangers are doing patrols uh, unassisted for 16 to 28 days, depending on where they're at. Uh, so you have to pack appropriately. How do you, how do you pack your stuff? What do you take with you? Um, sleeping bag. How do you make a bivy? Uh, there's a wide variety of things we teach, and the course has, has been quite fun. Uh, fire making skills. Sorry, I forgot that one. Very important. Oh, my um, goodness. So you're, you're literally getting a flash. Like, you're, you're jumping in feet first to a weekend as living as an anti-poaching ranger somewhere in the local uh, regions of California, in the, you know, Santa Santa Mountains or uh, Mount Laguna, depending on where we do the course. And every course registration is going towards field conservation. So when you are registering, uh, registering for the class, you're actually each one sponsors about each registry for the full weekend course sponsors uh, five Rangers worth of gear. Wow. So astonishing. the, the, the overlap is perfect because then we close the course. We give everybody a South African bracelet uh, a certificate of training, they get a shirt, and then we share with them that not only this weekend was all about the education awareness about the entire cause, but they helped sponsor five rangers each. It's mm. a big deal. Let me, let me ask you a question. Um, how many, it, and, and, and what an incredible, uh, the adventure of a lifetime, but how many people have asked to take it further? And say, look, I've completed this course. I want to go with you next time. And what's great, by the way, is that you have, everyone's volunteer, you have precious little overhead. So all of the money that you, or I would say most of the money that you take in actually goes into the hands, actually goes to the areas, directly to the areas where it's needed. Which, which you, cannot, you cannot say about every single 501c3 or every single charitable organization. But how many people have said, listen, Mike... I've completed this course. I know how to make a bivouac. I know how to make fire. 
I want to go and I want to, and, and by the way, it's, that's a very good point. It's not just the poachers that, that people are, you know, the, anti, the, the anti-poaching rangers. Yeah, the it's, animals. it's the animals. I, can't, I keep forgetting. Yeah. I keep forgetting that elephants cannot necessarily discern, oh, I like you because you want to save me. I don't like you because you want to kill me. They can't discern that. <laughs> it's definitely wild out there. Yeah, that's for sure. So how many have you thought about taking some of the, you know, the, the top graduates, the ones who are really interested, the ones that have the Sergeant Toomey kind of passion for the whole thing, and taking them to Kruger? Yeah, I have, actually. And I, I have taken several people. I've helped cross-train enough individuals that they're working on behalf of uh, the organization in alliances or sponsored positions where they're helping the teams with XYZ. So we have what we generally need, though, on top of all of the ranger training is we need somebody with the right personality uh, combined with the right background, too. So we send over uh, a couple former military veterans that are on our team, and they help with training. And we send over a couple people who worked in law enforcement and emergency, emergency medical services, and they help in training with those areas and those backgrounds. Uh, people who've done specifically technology and communications, and they help build the network. Uh, we utilize skills that we take for granted on this side that are in drastic need over there, which are usually tr- people try to sell them these things that they need help with. And we don't, we don't sell it to them. We use our partnerships and collaborations, and we fly out people who can help amplify the anti-pushing efforts and or the community conservation efforts. Uh, or we help tie in teams that have this skill set to another team who's nearby who needs that skill set. Um, so we, do, we have done that. We do that. Uh, it's very hard, though. Uh, it, it is difficult because we also don't want to step on the toes of those that live there. Right. and um you know ask too much so generally speaking it's a very uh case-by-case situation where uh we provide assistance uh, for example i'm sure everybody heard about the orphanage attack uh with the rhinos mm-hmm. a couple months ago uh our gcf team showed up four days after the attack for backup uh no other team came in uh to do that and that was because of our unique relationship and we also didn't want to overstep our bounds for too long so that the team was there for a couple of months on a contingency that we were there to help get them let them get on their feet again and then let them retake the entire thing which they were there the entire time but they needed help so we, we've done we've done several things like that and uh it it has been very helpful well, Andrea, Andrea can certainly go because she's a producer extraordinaire. She can coordinate everything. She can coordinate, but I have no idea. I've, I've never in my life felt so uh, inadequate because it's like I'd like to go, but I can't contribute anything. I can, you know, I can, I can tap dance a little bit, but it's like I've got no military. I'm not a police. I've got no internet. I've got no technical skills. Uh, so it's oh, like, but well, I see, believe me, I love to go. Help, yeah, but oh, believe oh. me, I would love to go. I'd love to train with you for a weekend, learn how to make fire, because that's, that, that that's great on the bucket list. And, and, then, and then go and see it firsthand and, and let them know that from our small, small little corner of the universe, they are so incredibly important to us and they're so, they're so respected and so supported. But, um, wow, I mean, that, that just it sounds, it sounds incredible. 
incredible. I can tell you though, they're gonna hear they're gonna hear this interview, and they're gonna be so excited that you care so much. Um, I, that's another thing we commonly do is we connect them with the interviews we do this side because they either don't have the reception or they can't pay for data to watch videos or stream any of the the programs. So when we go over, we share a lot of the connecting media resources that have happened over the last several months and they absolutely love it so they just knowing that they have you in their corner rooting for them with your show it's gonna it's gonna be months of morale for them they're gonna be so stoked about it well tell them i, I tell them i'm i may be on my way <laughs> i may be bringing Alrighty. i'll bring chocolate <laughs> i'll bring chocolate from trader joe's and and just you know give them a give them a good old pep talk um, talk to talk about your adopt a ranger program, and then uh, let's talk about trash to treasure. So, adopt a ranger first. So, adopt a ranger is really cool. What we've done um, is we have a team member who specifically is prioritizing specific needs for teams and uh, regions. So, some areas need more boots, and some areas need more backpacks, and some areas need more training, and some areas have that and need some of the specialty items. So. Why do you need to adopt a ranger? Rangers are drastically underfunded, and they routinely are patrolling with almost nothing. The most common ranger setup is a uniform, a pair of boots, and a weapon for every other player, as well as their tent and food setup. These guys don't have bulletproof vests. They don't have night vision. They don't have patrol dogs. They don't have backpacks with water bladders. They probably don't have matching boots. They don't always have matching uniforms. They don't always have belts. They don't have sunglasses. They don't have eye and ear protection for, you know, shooting drills. They don't have extra ammo for shooting drills. They don't have quality food. They don't have budgets to expand that. They don't have enough rangers. So one of the ways the Adopt a Ranger program helps is to just give a perfect example. Five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars. It can go so far for every single ranger. We have part. We have uh, sponsorship agreements with lots of businesses. We have uh, wholesale accounts, so we make like five dollars act like it's twenty-five dollars. So rangers need headlamps, and they need tactical flashlights, and they need pocket knives that are reliable. Um, they need tactical backpacks so that they can carry two to three days worth of supplies in. They need hydration bladders. Uh, they need first aid kits. We create custom create all these different packages and break them down into a tiered structure so it's easy to see where the costs go, how much it costs to do these different items. And then basically on average for a, a general kit, because the kit is delivered by one of our team members, it's roughly 65 bucks for a generic setup, a generic setup. And I mean by that, um, we several high quality item, custom chest webbing, custom backpack, hydration pack and boots. Um, Roughly 65 bucks to get each individual ranger their setup, and then we tack in um, for the sponsorship cost, like the cost for shipping and location, and then we throw food in with them too. So $5, for example, that can feed a ranger for a full day or be two pairs of boot socks. Uh, $10 can be a camping kit that he can't afford. Uh, most rangers are making between $90 a month to $400 a month, depending on the country. Um, and they're feeding their families of three to six or eight. Uh, they, they don't have the luxury to say, I need a backpack for work. I need boots for work. 
they're at the mercy of their employer and the employers are also hurting financially, generally speaking, because they can't justify buying their entire team brand new kit and gear. So we help fill that gap and provide training of all these different backgrounds so that the teams can actually function at 100% or near 100%. And then we try to get as many top-shelf items like trained dogs and or people who have trained dogs involved and uh, drones and put them out the field so that teams work together, share resources, or can share resources so that an entire region is a lot more successful. Drones, of course. Brilliant. Drones, drones, drones. Oh, yeah. Because, you, yeah. yeah, you you for instance, you look at your videos, or one one will look at your videos and and you see rangers kind of in with their with their guns and their and the boots and and they're they're sort of kind of you know fully fully formed you of course you you never re- remember that every single per- thing on that body has is is not necessarily but it's a necessity and there are so many components that going the food the backpacks etc the knives, just something, and something again. You say like a like a top a top flight item, like a dog. That's a, yeah. You are a five hundred one c three, so everything is tax deductible. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Listeners, in kind or and in kind or cash donations are both tax deductible. So, so, if, we give up, so it, if we give up our coffee for a week, give up your coffee for a week. And, yeah. and, yeah. and 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 the first day you give up your coffee, you're, you've got two pairs of socks for two different yeah. rangers. Yeah. Uh, it, boot socks. It's it's literally that simple. Um, all every place you can donate is going to be on the animal magnetism site. Um, Mike, real quickly, sh- give, shout out some of your sites to um, to to as, to as to where people can donate for my listeners. So the, there's globalconservationforce.org uh, forward slash donate. On the Facebook page, there's a donate button. Uh, there's a couple CrowdRise campaigns under Global Conservation Force that you can donate to. Uh, at all of our events, you can not only buy merchandise, local art that's animal-themed and jewelry, uh, we can accept donations there. You can send donations to our P.O. Box at 956, uh, also P.O. Box 956, Oceanside, California, 92049. Um, you can... There, there are so many ways. You can raise money for us and then donate lump sums. But really, most people, I feel like they don't get involved because they feel like they can't make an impact. But honestly, a dollar, if 10 people donate a dollar or 100 people donate a dollar or 100 people donate $5, 100 people donating $5 can be a full, small anti-poaching unit team um, of gear. You know, so what some people call a small donation of 50 bucks, we can make that be a full ranger sponsorship for one ranger that needs specific items um we this we is, just this custom is cater to every need it's truly a case where even the smallest amount can have a tremendous impact and i want Absolutely. my i want listeners please please be mindful of that um we're gonna we're gonna have to close out but will you come back again and and give us updates I would love to okay. i would be happy to i leave shortly uh i leave in two weeks after the after the event, and I'll be training rangers to protect Saiga antelope in Uzbekistan. Um, and I would love to talk about poaching pressures and wildlife trafficking more with you guys. Absolutely. We will have you on in the, in the very near future when you come back from Uzbekistan. Um, incredibly important work that you're doing. Andrea, any last thoughts? Thank you. 
Thank you for what you're doing. Uh, Thank you guys. And I would just like to say anybody ordering from Amazon, use your smile and you know you can make those donations to Global Conservation Force. They're on the Yes, yeah. that's a easy, huge way to do easy it. Easy way to do it. Because we all we all shop Amazon. We all shop Amazon and this is this is some this is something you can do with simply a, a, a click of a button. Mike, I have a feeling I'm gonna be seeing you on June third because I'm going to come and not drink beer. But uh, but that's fine. Quite probably make a donation, uh, and sh- and shake your hand and uh, give you a hug and say thank you so much for what you're doing. Y- you are a one man tour de force. You are really a force of nature. Thank you so much for being on the show. We will have you on again. I am. I'd like to. I know it's just happened the the anti the anti poaching training, but I'd love to participate the next time you do it. And get a little bit Absolutely. more involved. We'd yes. love to have you. Yeah, I really, really would. So, uh, and maybe I can coerce Andrew to come down and, and join me in doing that. Um, thank <laughs> you again. Thank you again. <laughs> thank you again for my, from uh, from Mike Mike Veal, Global Conservation Force. Get involved, people. Again, a, a small amount of money can go, or and preferably make it a large amount of money. But a small amount of money can have a tremendous <laughs> impact in this particular instance. Um, thank you. Andrea Compton, the best producer, the best co-host, the best all-around everything that I personally know. Um, I will see you again in two weeks, my darling. Thank you to Tony Sweet, who is the handsomest man in radio, who runs my board every single show. God bless. Mike Veal, Global Conservation Force, uh, again, cannot say enough. Kudos, kudos, kudos to you. Cannot say enough about the work that you and your volunteer army are doing uh, to to help prevent extinction of, of, of our metaterrestrials, our giraffes, our pangolins, which not a metaterrestrial, but uh, pangolins, giraffes, elephants, rhinos. And listeners, you had a lot of information today, fascinating information. Your hearts should be just sort of swelling with, with thoughts and ideas about how you can help this man, Global Conservation Force, because it goes directly to preservation and conservation of species that we're going to lose. Sooner or later, we're going to lose them. But if this man is, is staving it off as long as possible, and maybe in the interim, we can all find a solution and you can be a part of that. So join me again in two weeks for another episode of Animal Magnetism. I am your host, Carolyn Hennessy, signing off saying, remember, in everything that you do, attempt to cultivate the preservationist heart. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Something tells me it's all happening at the I do believe it, I do believe it's true Skeptical of changes in their cages, have a zookeeper.